Welcome to a brand new episode of Attitude Makeover. I have with me Lalita Indrakanti, a role model and a global head of business operations at IKEA. An unconventional leader with a very strong business focus, she's held several leadership roles across business lines in the last 20 plus years. As a small town orphan girl with a different upbringing, she started working at the age of 17 with a core belief of never giving up. She explains how the onus of decision making was all on herself right from a very young age and that has helped her rise through the ranks in her career. Getting into the details of her career, she talks about how it took her about 4 to 5 jobs to figure out and shape her career based on what she really wants to do. Another very important aspect that we touch upon is about just being a woman in a workforce today. dealing with prejudices and stereotypes prioritization without really carrying the guilt around with us and aiming for a better work and life integration self introspection and upskilling go hand in hand in this ever changing world she draws focus on how to stay updated to stay relevant we also delve into the importance of having a futuristic work a work network that most women like me really lack striking a fine balance in various roles and establishing prerequisites and non-negotiables to give your 100% to work and a lot more this conversation is one where lalita speaks her mind and pushes you to evaluate how to set up your career for success you shouldn't miss out on this one as always i hope you enjoy this conversation and i look forward to more likes subscribes and shares thank you again for tuning into attitude makeover lalita i couldn't have chosen a better companion to have this conversation honored honored thank you here. so much thank you you made me so comfortable enough to say okay i'm going to test this at home uh, thank you so much for being part of attitude makeover It's a privilege to have you here today. Same here. Happy to be here. So, I think the main reason I was hooked on and I really wanted to have you in my show uh, or my conversation is the journey that you've gone through. It's not been an easy journey, and yet you've sort of carved out a niche for yourself in the last twenty plus years. And I think it's very important to speak about this journey and. for my audience to really first know who lalita is and then go into the journey of lalita um so i will start off with if you can spend some time um from early years till the lalita today what's been that journey like who is lalita who am i i think it's like almost like a soul searching uh, episode for me <laughs> um i think i'm somebody just who's determined not to give up if i just have to sum it up in one word um small town girl grew up in all villages were nakler educated never went to a convent school in my life started working at the age of 17 and uh, here i am wherever i am so it's been a long journey lot of inspirations along the way but uh, i think the only thing as i said is not give up small town as in Where, which I'm, part of? I'm from Andhra, a place called Kakinada. Okay. Uh, that's my hometown. But uh, I would say until I came to Bangalore, 
the the longest period i've ever stayed anywhere is a maximum of 3 years so i kept moving throughout my childhood education um so bangalore is truly home so i if people ask me where are you from i generally can't think of anything other than i'm from bangalore mm. right because this is the place i've stayed the longest in my life yeah and early years were very different for you right when compared to a lot of us um you want to talk about that or keep that off the conversation it is i think um, you know i it's okay to talk about it i mean i grew up without my parents um i was uh, raised by my aunt so it's definitely different i wouldn't say it's bad or good yeah. but it is different yeah. than the standard mold of what uh, how people grow up and how parents take care of them and uh, that is the reason i think maybe i started working such an early age because i wanted to support my own education mm-hmm. and what are some things that you started really building as lalita's core very early on because the upbringing was so different and so what are some things that really are very different from because when i grew up i grew up in a single mom and just my sister and me and for me a lot of these patriarchy things financial independence all that was like you know a different foundation from the regular upbringing right and i'm thinking your upbringing having been different meant that you were sort of molded differently very early on yes itself. absolutely i think the way how your childhood goes will definitely have a bearing on who you are for me uh, if i now look back and think about it what has been different is one thing is definitely independence hmm. um decision making hmm. i think that is because growing up nobody made decisions for me every and similarly like you said a single mom kind of my aunt was a single lady so she was going to work and at a very young age i had to make decisions because nobody else is making for them so it becomes such a part of your dna in terms of decision making when i came into the corporate world or when i started working it wasn't difficult for me because i'm just used to making decisions so the leadership qualities is something what you pick up when you're growing up uh, depends on the kind of the circumstances you are in what what kind of early decisions did you have to make A- anything right from um, right from grocery shopping and my aunt never bought me uh, clothes uh, she she takes me and said pick what you want so thinking deciding what you want i think is one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people in life wow yes. even when they grow up right what do i want that i'm so used to doing it what do i want thinking about it right from the time probably i was 10 year old so um that helped me a lot uh, as i grew up that also led to deciding what you're going to study where you're going to study everything I think studies probably happened um by circumstances uh, but I would say what I studied did not stop me from becoming who I want to be hmm. because I'm not limited by my education I'm here despite of my education true so from 17 after your schooling and your early years um 
walk me through how you landed up with IKEA today. Um, I think in anybody's career phase, there are different stages, right? When you pass out or when you start working, you get a job. I think it took me probably four jobs to figure out what my career is, right? Because once you, in the early stages of your life, you work because of the circumstances, because that's what you get, um, or people tell you this is good for you more often than not. Yeah. Those are the kind of the decisions that determine what is good, uh, you know, to be in. What what is a good career? What is a good a very less number of people have the privilege to decide what they really want to do. Yeah. But as you grow up in your career, you will either by establishing your financial stability or your, um, you know, your needs are met for various different reasons, you end up at a place where you can choose mm. what you want to do rather mm. than do what is given to you. Mm. Yeah, so it took me, as I said, probably four different or five different jobs before I ended up with consulting at SAP. Um, then I really started, I, I wanted it, so I went for it, I got it, and I've enjoyed it. So from then, I think my career has taken a different shape, and doing the kind of the roles I wanted to do, joining the kind of the companies I wanted to work for, um, so I would say it's two kinds of my first eight years of my career, I would say, is that the novice are, you know, uh, do what is given to you, do what pays you from choosing what I want to do from probably my SAP onwards. Okay, okay. So the earliest were like really creating that foundation for you to then carve out a portfolio of this is what I want to do. but really getting yourself comfortable in a position where you can exactly. then make it's these important, choices. important, right? I mean, when, you, when your needs are not met, if you're not financially independent, you can't afford to have choices. Yeah. Then you do what is given to you. Yeah. Yeah. And you said you came from a, you had to learn English in the yes. beginning. Yes. How did that happen? Like, you know, was it after your did you do your engineering or no, no? I did my commerce graduation. Okay. But I think for me, the English happened because um, very young age, when I was probably 16, I was fascinated with uh, the whole world of uh, computers. Hmm. That's the early stages of probably computer education. I wanted to go and join NIT. Um, and when somebody who was kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting me admitted, they said, why do you want to do it? I remember saying that it's an ever-changing field. There is always something new to learn. That is what really attracted me at that point of time. But I think joining a professional um, IT education institute, interacting with the kind of the people, I think that's probably where I picked up my language skills. But I'm generally uh, quite uh, fond of learning different languages. I can speak uh, quite a few of Indian languages at least. Hmm. So I think you just need to have a flair, then you would just pick it up. You, you then seem to be a curious one also in terms of being abreast with what's changing and where I need Till to. today. Yeah. Till today. I think my, um, even any of my executive assessments and other stuff, people say sometimes say that having anything in your high 90s is not good, right? As a, as a trait, it's not good. But my learning agility or the 
the need for learning is always in high 90s and I'm not ashamed of it hmm. because I have a need and the need has to be either met professionally or has to be met personally. So I, if there is a year that goes by without me learning something new, I just feel that year is wasted in my life. Right? I mean, some people just have that need for learning. I'm one of those people, fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah. I think for me, the way I really connected with you were two things, right? One was, I don't know if you remember the first time we met. Um, I think the first thing was the, the background or the upbringing itself. And I think both of us don't come from a super luxurious background. And yet... Typical yeah, families. Right? And yet we've carved ourselves out uh, as a niche. Uh, that was one thing. The second thing was... The whole thing of, you know, having clarity on what you want, which comes with the ability to adapt very quickly, learn, and also the curiosity of, you know, what is changing and thereby how do I keep myself ready for something like that. And then, of course, the resilience. God, you, resilience. your resilience and grit is like, uh, hats off. <laughs> so I wanted to spend the one hour or one and a half hours today to really talk about how do you carve out a career portfolio for yourself. Um, I wanted my audience to first understand who Lalita is. It's not like uh, a privileged background. It came from grassroots to who you are today. And it's, it's possible to dream that way, first of all. The second thing is... How do you go about, after you've established a certain level of financial stability, how do you then go about the next level, which is, you know, carving out your career? Um, first question for you there is, Lalita, when you started, and you said the first eight years was explorative, just figuring out the jobs that are coming your way. But how did you then decide on, this is my value prop? Uh, because what you actually went through is a value understanding of yourself and thereby positioning yourself in the right place at the right time. And that doesn't happen overnight. Um, how did you go about? Are there methods to this madness? I, I, I'm not sure whether I'm qualified to talk about methods and other stuff, but I can just tell about myself, right? I think for anybody understanding what your core values are, what are your non-negotiables, is very, very important. I will not do anything that is not in line with my integrity, in line with my, um, uh, you know, the determination, quite a few of those, your core values. As long as you're not compromising on your core values and you have to bring your 100%. That's, that's my belief that you have to, you should be able to bring your 100% to work. Mm. Yeah? Mm. Um, those are my anchoring traits that determine what I want to do. And as I mentioned, learning is very important for me. So, you know, getting the jobs where there is something new to do every few months or every, um, you, you know, consulting, you know uh, what consulting is, right? Finding the difficult situations, providing solutions, understanding new problems, understanding new clients, that really intrigued me. Right? Mm. That is the reason why I went into consulting saying that this is what I would love to do. Mm. I didn't have the 
qualifications or um, the things, I, I worked for it. I uh, studied for it. I achieved it. I, you know, saved for it to study and I did. And eventually I ended up doing what I wanted to do. I think it's all about understanding what really gives you that energy to keep going. Before you join SAP, can you talk a little bit about what was your career like? Where were you? And what were some early on investments you did on yourself, whether it is your own self-introspection or going and studying something or, you know, I'm thinking you would have done some bit of research or networked to find out what's the ideal bit. What was that like? Um, I think one thing which I've always done, which I continue to do, is to upskill yourself, right? You can't be way off. Um, everything is ever-changing in the world. What is Whatever is your core skills and not continue to be your, it, 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 what got you here won't take you there, right? That's, that's, a, that's a standard thing, but not many people believe that. Not, the people think that they have a unique skills and that will keep going forever. But your unique skills has to be created. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to learn. You have to continue to understand the industry. I've been fortunate to work mostly in tech companies throughout my career, right from NIT uh, days, right? Um, but understanding technology, seeing the trends, what is happening in the market, what are the core skills that you would need? Are you willing to be a student again? Hmm. Are you willing to go back to the blackboard and start understanding the ABCDs of something which is coming up new? Is very important because um, if, if you don't have the skills that are required for um, the world, you're going to be obsolete, right? Hmm. So it's important to keep upgrading yourself, upskilling yourself, but just because you upskill, it's not going to get you opportunities. But finding those opportunities, how do you make space for yourself is also important, equally important about learning something new. True, true. And one part of it is discovering this. Um, my experience has been, first is understanding where the world is headed. Uh, maybe have a perspective of, you know, three years down the line. That's what you're also talking about. Futuristic, where is it headed? And then understanding where are your gaps. Yes, right? very important. That's very a hard part, isn't it? It is a hard part. It is a hard part. Knowing what you want to do or knowing what you want is the hardest part, as, if, as we spoke earlier. Um, understanding the gaps and addressing them is the most difficult thing. Right? Because as grown-up adults, we don't want to believe we have any shortcomings. We, want, we don't, you know, the minute you're close to feedback, it's, your, your learning is over, hmm. right? So you need to be open for feedback. You need to be open to look at, I always constantly think, even in the most successful situation, how can I do it better next time? I think that mindset, if you have it, you would continue to grow. Do you go reach out for this feedback within your network, within your peer groups, your you know superiors, or beyond that? How, how do you collect this feedback? I think I've been fortunate enough to work for organizations who have invested early on me in terms of either paid mentoring. Um, there are also situations where I went and sought mentors, 
Hmm. Right, because I felt I'm in a situation which is probably, um, I, 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 I can tell you the example, right? So I was working with IBM, I was a bunch of friends who were together and uh, there are men and there are women and uh, there are people who wanted a promotion and uh, they've been trying their level best to how do they build their profiles, what kind of projects they should take and all of that and uh, one fine day uh, my manager asked me to just do a last year summary write-up I wrote it and sent without even knowing what it is for and in the next cycle I was promoted mm -hmm. and I was promoted um, ahead of my peers right and that I went back and said I didn't ask for promotion I didn't want the promotion why why was I given this right that's a kind of a situation when I felt singled out, when I felt, oh, my friends are like uh, looking at me, oh, she's getting ahead of us, um, I, I didn't know how to deal with that situation. So that is when I went and actually sought one of the senior women leaders um, saying that, hey, you are so senior, you went through this phase, you grew ahead of your peers, can you guide me through this? How do I deal with this situation? So. Uh, mentors uh, or coaches it can be situational it can be it can be depends on your circumstances but I think it is extremely important to seek mentorship understand reflect have sounding boards within your peer groups with who you can discuss seek feedback talk to your people who are working with you I think that constant feedback loop is so very important and it's not about it's not about organizational assessment it's not for your manager to tell you end of the year who you are you need to know who you are yeah right yeah. That, that's so important and that is not possible without a feedback loop yeah I want to draw an analogy with sales right so in sales there's this whole concept called value selling um, where if you you position the value of your solution and you first understand what are the pain points the customer has and you talk about the value prop that this solution has. Then there is an urgency and then it's about timelines and the you know, definitive period to see if there's a perfect match and that's when Correct. you go to the next stage. I sometimes wonder why we don't look at ourselves as a value, sure. us sure. as a Absolutely. product or a value Absolutely. prop. And thereby then have a conversation of, hey, this is who I am to what you're talking about. This is how I can make an impact to the pain that you have. And these are, let's talk about your broad timelines. And, you know, I might probably have to ramp up. Maybe I'll have to ramp up ahead to have this conversation with somebody. And then be in the right place at the right time. Yes. So that's what being in the right place at the I right hate time. to say this, but for especially women, it is very difficult. Tell me more. Yeah, because I think it's all it's all the society and years of conditioning of not to speak about yourself or not to ask for things. I'm we all any of the successful women dealt with this prejudice of being too aggressive, right? Um, so it it is hard. It is hard for people to bring their value proposition to the table, it is hard for them to talk about themselves, it, it, it's just years of conditioning for us. Yeah, yeah. 
how do you start if, if i i hear you um that it is either extremes right you're either too aggressive yeah. or you're too soft because you don't want conflicts you avoid conflicts so either ways there's a mismatch but how do you sort of come to the middle ground and i would think while the early years is still in an explorative stage when you sort of hit like 6 to 8 years experience you start feeling this as a woman because there's a lot happening at home you probably are getting married you probably having a kid and so on and so forth there's a lot happening at work your peers are actually growing and you're not at the same pace and that's when it starts hitting you a combination of it hits you Correct. plus the financial bit also has a play in this whole thing even though you've been working and earning there is a is a financial dependency still how does one go through this is there a advice from you or something that's no, worked think, for you i think what worked for me is just being true to myself to who i am i've never tried to pretend to be somebody i'm not mm. um which means bringing your 100% authentic self to work even at the you know a lot of people say that when you are a leader when you are so humane it doesn't work but i say it absolutely that is how it works right because even if you have to take the most judgmental calls you need to understand what the situation is and that you cannot understand if you don't put your 100 self 100% self into it right um that is one aspect of it just being who you are the second thing is i think you know i i sometimes i feel that everybody anybody i talk to i keep repeating this one word which is called prioritization <laughs> right it is it is so hard for especially women not to feel guilty about wanting the kind of the role they want to play at that point of time there is absolutely nothing like work life balance it's all working life integration there might be a tactical differentiation but i think you can't be somebody different at work and you can't be somebody different at home if you're doing that you will struggle to maintain that two facets right so it's 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 important to be who you are and have an absolute prioritization of who you want to be for that particular moment what does it does your work need more of you does your family need so it you know my analogy is like that of a piano right it is it is the 100% of the keys but which key will be up and down it depends on so it it's all about percentages so there might be stages in your career where you need to put your family 60% and your career 40% but there are times when you have to put your career 70% and family 30% but as long as the totality is making up to 100 hmm. i think it's 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 a win win for everybody were you at a situation where you had to choose the 60 40 at any point absolutely absolutely i um i had situations in my life where um i was uh, even thinking that is it really worth should i have to focus on my kids you know i think all of us go through that um but i'm glad i didn't quit of course um because i you know that people will give you a lot of advice right oh if you quit and focus everything is going to be fine and you know i really had to sit down and make the decision i said 
it's not going to be win-win for anybody. Say, for example, if, if I quit and focus on the things that are needed the most at home and kids will grow up and then if you are so career, I mean, I've been working all my life. I've never quit uh, working, right? So what happens is when the, when the need is no longer there, you already lost out on certain years of your career. And uh, be it kids or be it the situation, somebody will stand back and say, did we ask you to do it? Hmm. Right? What happens is you will, even if you are there physically at home, attending to the situation that you need to attend to, um, you would always have that regret at the, somewhere in the back of your mind if that is not what you want to do. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, so there are people who are very happy taking breaks in their career, completely justified, very happy to come back if that is what they wanted to do. But that's not probably what I wanted to do. I didn't want to quit. So I sat and was thinking about it and I said, few years down the line, I don't want to blame somebody else that I'm left behind in my career because of you. Mm. Right? Mm. And to do, so I said, how best can I deal with both the situations together? Mm. How best can I, what kind of compromises do I need to do at both places? in order to be there at both the places that I need to be. So it's, you know, now I'm able to sit and talk about it because it all worked out, right? <laughs> if it wouldn't have, uh, it's, it would have been a different story. What are some things you had to take care of to balance it out at that point? Um, support system. When I say support system, it is not just, it's not just uh, about getting a house help, uh, it is support system in every single aspect of your life. Um, be it at workplace, if you're missing out on things, who are your allies, who are your friends, who are going to fill you up? How do you catch up when you are not there? That's your support network that you built at workplace. How can you make up for the times that you're not physically at work? To the point when you are not at home, who's going to play that role? Who's going to fill that? A thing because there are things that needs to be done it could be it could be your family it could be uh, the help you hire um, or it could be anybody right but as long as the needs that is the reason why I talk about prioritization prioritization is so important again for you to define what are your non-negotiables uh, while my kids were growing up you know, putting them to bed that half an hour with them was very important for me. So I wouldn't, I would block my calendar and I will not take any calls that half an hour unless it is like emergency and something is burning, right? So um, being clear about it, being explicit about it, and if, if I don't do that, I will feel guilty. I didn't want to do anything that makes me feel guilty. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's all about your complete guilt management, uh, how when you choose not to do something, how you not feel guilty about it, that's what will keep you going. So what I see is one is knowing what you want. You start off with that, having clarity Absolutely. of that. Then prioritizing, building this allyship or the support network. It's also what you're talking about is setting expectations. So important. Right? So very important. So, so very important. How do you, I mean, 
that's a hard one isn't it lalita <laughs> because you know it's very easy to say hey uh, like for example if i take my husband hey shamir tomorrow i have a meeting and you know i'm not there it's not that simple it's about setting expectations but I, at the same time i think as long as you the way how i look at it sojanya is if you're trying to impress somebody hmm okay you will try to be who you are not eh when you try and start a relationship like that when you start being yourself that's when the expectation mismatch happens so that's the reason why i say bringing your 100% authentic self to the table in any situation not just not just workplace it is also at the family level when i got married i was um i think that's the best piece of advice that i've got with you know about the mother in law relationships right saying that just be who you are and if i i can't um, I, i i cook well but it doesn't mean that every day after a 10 hours of work day i can come and cook yeah right keeping that expectation absolutely clear doesn't build a false perception of who you are so um be unapologetic about it is what i would say it's it's it, you, you nobody should be apologetic about being who they are yeah yeah, yeah? yeah. that's where the, as long as you set the same expectation right from the beginning then there is no expectation mismatch the problem happens is when you try to be someone who you are not and along the way who try to be who you are yeah. that's when the trouble starts yeah yeah because you know if you have a meeting and if you have to go that's what you've done all along then there is no problem right true true so when we go through this when we have clarity on this um i'll give you an example right like when I decided to have my child I think the two of us sat together to say okay by when do you have to get back to work what does life after look like and also at work I need to I had to have that conversation with my manager saying that this is what I can do what I will not be able to do but those are very difficult conversations if you're doing it alone um if you don't have the support system um if you've not figured the full bit or even if you figured and you don't have the support system so lalita my question there is how much detail do you go into and how do you have these conversations what are some immediate conversations you need to be having you know my fundamental philosophy is if you don't ask for it you won't get it okay and a lot of people have problem in asking for it right i think that's especially as women um so you know the choice is yours if you don't ask for it what are you going to lose and what do you have to live with is it going to be more painful than asking for it either get rejected or get granted but you won't know it unless you ask for it mm. right i think that's been and my um, uh, my experience or my personality has been always something that i'm open i don't hesitate about talking about my problems i don't hesitate talking about 
what I'm thinking, how I'm thinking. So it's probably been a little more easier for me than it is for many other people. But I think, um, you know, the reality is never as bad as your imagination. Yeah, we think is, too much. We think too much. Yeah. You play it again and again and again in your head. If I ask for it, what do they think about me? What do they this thing? More often than not, when you ask for it, uh, at least I would say 80% of the people understand what you're going through because at some point of time, they would have gone through similar kind of situations in their life, right? Mm -hmm. So my, my suggestion would be people should just shred that inhibition to go ask for it. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to what you talked about as well. When you're giving your 100%, and then you're with all honesty saying, hey, I want to give this 100%. But these this are some what, things that These are, are my prerequisites. These are my non-negotiable. Yeah. This is I can do and this is I cannot do. And especially the kind of situation you are describing is not a permanent situation. Yeah. You know, thankfully kids grow up, yeah. right? They don't need you all the time. Yeah. They need you, but it is in different formats. So... Um, you know, remembering, putting things in perspective and remembering that this is not forever. This is a transitional phase of your life. And putting that in perspective in a long career of 30, 40, 50 years, I don't know, right? What does this one year mean to you? Yeah, putting that in perspective for yourself and for the organization, it is very important. Mm. Very true. And it, it's not just a woman's thing as no, well. No, it is right? not. It, it is not. It's good for it a man as absolutely. well. Absolutely. But given the kind of the, um, uh, the expectations people have, yeah, it is more often than felt as a women's thing, right? Men have different needs. It could be aging parents. It could be growing up kids who need their time. So it's not just a women's problem. And I think the advice goes even for men that maybe men are a little more, uh, little more okay to go and ask for it because that's how they're trained from the childhood, right? But uh, yeah, I know men who can't ask for it either. Less, they feel less guilty yeah, asking for it. I think we carry it. a lot of guilt. I, I, exactly, I do agree because exactly. for me, it used to be these lunch hours, right? So... I wanted to pick my child from school because that's the time she's coming out of the two-hour pre-primary thing and she's looking forward to home and I wanted to be there with her and which essentially meant I blocked those calendar slots but in spite of that some point, something would come and I would be like hey can we please do it this time and then go back and have the conversation again to say can we please block this for me. And I think it's very important to have those kinds of I think of probably it is a lot more in India. Mm. Because I work with my team across the world. None of my reportees feel any kind of obligation to say, oh, morning time, this meeting, I cannot do it because I have to drop my child to the school. It's, it's, it's a simple matter of fact for them, right? Mm. The guys just don't hesitate at all, right? And uh, I don't... Um, say, why can't you do it? It's a working hour and uh, because you just have to understand and move on. But that also then means to your earlier point of building that support allyship, that allyship also needs to understand what are some of the challenges. Absolutely. It's not just look at it as, oh, she wants, she's not available in these two slots. It's not that. It's 
she's that's not why it's a, allyship right yes. it's 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 a it's a network it yes. is people who understand what you're going through and be there for you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. now that we've covered that aspect um lalita i want to go into value positioning so at some point you decided from nit was nit the longest stint or after nit before sap you went mm, no i've had different uh, uh, you know my first eight years i've had different companies my longest stint so far has been ibm okay for a decade which was after sap yes after, after sap, SAP. Yeah. so when you switched gear from nit and the other companies to sap that's like switching from coding to consulting which is like a complete like me going from um, you know product engineering product management to sales it's like two different spectrums itself sides of the spectrum what are some things you had to do in order to prepare did you really want consulting did you go after consulting or it just happened to oh land? i wanted consulting with all my heart and i put all my eggs in one basket failing was just not an option wow i quit my job i this is early 2000s i paid close to 3 lakhs for getting myself certified as an sap consultant without a background without and i've taken education loan to pay for that 3 uh, lakhs um people thought i lost it right because it's a well paying job with a company like sap i was working in sap before who would do that but for me if you don't give your 100% i, I never hedge my bets right it's it's that might make me vulnerable but that's who i am because unless i'm giving my 100% at least i will not have any regrets it may not work out but at least i know i have given my 100% into what i really wanted hmm. yes yeah, so um taking that risk is a big part of what shapes your career because a lot of people don't take opportunities don't take new roles because they want to stick to something which is familiar to them which is less risky which will keep them going versus exploring the uncharted territories right i think um today when people ask me what is one thing that made you successful i always say that it is my complete risk taking abilities and giving your 100% not hedging your bets and doing really going after with all you have and then it, it just has to work out right because you just don't have, failure is not an option yeah which then means that knowing your risk appetite and preparing for the flip side of that risk appetite is something you plan for in the early years absolutely like you push absolutely. yourself around those risk um fallbacks it's not like you were not uh, you were assuming that there will be no failure you exactly, went with the preparation exactly. that there's no failure so i quit sap um fully knowing that i may not get a job with sap as a consultant right because but at that point of time sap is a great company but my again that's where your networks come into play i said i know at least another 16 partner consulting companies 
somewhere I'll get a job. I want to do consulting. I don't have to work for the same company you're working for. The, but of course, I eventually ended up in SAP. That's a different story. But the whole point is, you know, you can have an option B, but the op my option B was not very different from my option A. Hmm. That is the reason succeeding was so, so important for me. So your option B was more mitigation plans exactly, than... Exactly, rather than a different path, hmm. right? Hmm. I mean, I didn't even think of failure as a, a possibility, right? Because this is what you want to do, but where you do it, as you rightly said, it might be a little deviation or have a mitigation kind of a thing rather than you go get certified as a consultant and you will never get an SAP job. Like the odds were really low, hmm. right? Hmm. Uh, and it is, is it during this period that you really figured your value prop? Um, I think somewhere I've always known what my value prop is. Of course, as I said, you know, you, you have different jobs, but for you to make a career, you experiment a little bit. So it, for me, it's more of revalidation of what my value prop is rather than not knowing. Because as, as I said, the integrity, there are, there are a few things which are completely non-negotiable for me. If I don't have it at my workplace, I will not be able to work. So it's, it's important that your ethos mm. has to meet with the organizational ethos. Mm. Um, so I probably knew it, but it is about discovering it, revalidating it, understanding it, and more importantly, feeling confident about it. Mm. This is what you bring to the table. This is who you are, right? And so it is not as simple as I just apply to some job that is there. It's about fitment. It's it about is about fitment. It is about preparation. It is about thinking through. It is about showing why you are a good fit. Um, nobody will tap. I mean, maybe it happens to people, but it didn't happen to me. Nobody ever tapped on a shoulder and said, here is the job, take it, right? So it's about thinking through why you want to do it, what you want to do it. Do you want to make a switch? Do you, is that what you want to do, right? And preparing, putting your proposition for it is important. So when you're putting your props around there, um, like in, in this particular scenario, you started off with coding and then you're getting into consulting, which means you have to get a bigger picture which means you also have to be client-facing, which means you also need to have the communications and yes, the other absolutely. skills that are required. Absolutely. The seller skills yes, as well. Yes, yes. Right? It's not just as simple as understanding SAP and No, it's not. It's no job is what you do just in the system, right? It is about, it's about all the things what you're talking about surround in terms of how do you position yourself? How do you? Pos it could be your product. It could be your company. Um, what are you? How are you being the out focused outside? It, these are all very very important. So when you go in for a conversation, um, and of course now you're way beyond all that people probably are coming to you, but in the early years when you're going into a conversation. You're not just another profile then that's coming in. You, you've evaluated fitment. You've evaluated 
the hiring manager's problem statements and how you fit in and how can you create an absolutely, impact? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it is very important. A lot of people who go for a go for a new role or new job will not have eighty percent of the time will not have the clarity of why should they choose you. Sometimes, of course, it's an interview question. And people might prepare it at a surface level, but if you don't have the conviction that I'm the right fit for this and I will bring my unique proposition to the table, um, you will not succeed on the long run. You might initially might get the job, but either you will be unhappy or they will be unhappy. Uh, it just won't work out, right? People say it didn't work out for me. What does it mean? Yeah. What it means is that either you didn't think through it or you didn't make it clear on why you to the organization. Yeah, yeah. And there do you uh, interview the manager as, man as much as the manager and the organization interviews you? Uh, may not be as much, but as I grew in my career, it is extremely important for me uh, now to who do I work for. Hmm. Yeah, if you don't have that chemistry, if you don't have that comfort factor, I will never take up the job. It's, it's, it's so important for me. I think I've, sometimes I think I've written even articles about it, that it's, it's as good as a matchmaking, right? It's, it's as good as choosing your partner. You're choosing your professional partner in this case. So it's very important that you choose the right manager. Um, and uh, it, it's hard to understand everything in some interviews and of course at our level it doesn't mean just it's not one interview, it will be a period of time, it will be multiple conversation, exploratory, but yeah, I do ask questions. I, I don't hesitate. Everybody gives an opportunity to ask questions and I don't hesitate, but the questions is not to figure out the facts, it's to figure out how the person who's hiring me thinks about it. How do they go about it? It is about more of an attitude towards something rather than, because hard facts, we live in an internet era, right? I mean, you Google about any, uh, any company, you would figure out the facts, but it's not about the facts. It's about the plans. It's about how do you want to go about it? How is the other person thinking? What is their approach? And is this something that will work for you is very important to determine. So you, you ask these questions point blank during your conversations as to tell me a little bit about you. Like if I am the manager. No, I, I see what are your plans? How are you thinking about it? They start talking, you pick up words from it. You pick up and say, you know, asking that why are you thinking about it like this? How will you go about it? How are you seeing that? You know, it, more often than not, people say, oh, in three years, we will become this and that, right? That's, that's the standard. These are our growth plans. And uh, so I usually ask, so what is important for you in this journey? You know, what, is, what are the things that you look for? Yeah? So those are the things that tell you about a person, right? So it's, mm. it's important that, uh, because if you don't have the comfort of who you work for, it's not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Now as part of heading global operations for IKEA. That's a much larger landscape. Um, what is the worldview in that role like? Worldview is, um, I think it all, it's not specifically about 
um, in Kaurakia and other stuff. But I think it is also about organizational appetite mm. of having an Indian women head something which is big. But of course, your, your experience or your past, your, what you've done is what brings you to the table. But your experience shouldn't determine what you can, should do with an organization. Because aligning with the organizational DNA, understanding the organization, how they do it, and how that is becomes very, very important to move the needle forward. Okay? Otherwise, you can't be um, really, you know, a lot of time your experiences drive your behaviors, but I think it is equally important to understand the culture of an organization, understand the DNA of the organization, what clicks, what doesn't click for a particular organization uh, is very important uh, to, to move it forward. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's another aspect of value selling again, exactly. Right? Because one part of it is what do I bring to the table? And, and there'll be many who will have that. Absolutely. They bring that value absolutely. proposition. Very Why true. you? Very true. It's the Very fitment true. into the culture. It's exactly. the fitment into. As you grow, and we, we talked in depth about the eight to 12 years time frame where you're trying to find your value prop. Now there's a plane flying on top. <laughs> Again? Okay. So as you grow, we, we've talked about the 8 to 12 years, but as you grow, the mid to senior, that migration is not an easy, um, you know, threading phase either. It's going again. It's like coming back for you, right? I tell you. <laughs> I like the way both of you are like, okay, one more sound. <laughs> she started wiping upstairs. <laughs> okay. So we've, we've talked about the 8 to 12 years and how do you sort of identify your value proposition and how do you position yourself? One of the things I have seen is throughout the career, the mid to senior management, that migration is not an easy path. It's a lonely one as well, because to your point, you're sometimes ahead of your peers, you're sometimes behind your peers. You've got a lot of self-doubt. On a personal front, there's a lot happening during that time. You have children, aging parents, your own health, your own career projections and aspirations. It's a lot happening there. Um, and like you said in the previous bit when you talked about the bigger picture, the global role, it's about fitment. It's not just what value prop you come with, because all of us come with a lot of value props. It's also about the right fitment from a culture perspective, agility perspective, priority, mindset. How do you go about preparing for that journey? I think the biggest shift one need to make when you are entering into the senior roles is you have to really cognizant about the fact it's no longer about you. Mm. What makes you successful doesn't depend on your own capabilities, but it is also about the kind of the team you build, 
how you can get the team to work together, how you can make that entire, it's like a zigzag puzzle, right? You are just a piece of it. Understand, you might be the main piece of it, but understanding that unless everything else come together, you will not be able to show a picture. Hmm. I think that the shift in terms of being so dependent on your own skills into having the ability to recognize the skills, understand the talent, understand the ecosystem, understand the organization, and bringing it all together is really what makes that cut. Hmm. Yeah? So it's hard yeah, because um, so many times getting work done is more harder than doing it yourself. But you can't do it all, right? So it's however frustrating it is sometimes, and uh, you know, it's, it happens at every level, right? Even at personal level, sometimes it is so easy to do it yourself than explaining it to your cook or a maid, right? So, but you can't do it every day. So the consistency becomes an issue. Once you can step in and do it, but how do you consistently get work done, bring all these things together is very important. Understanding that and preparing for it, building that mindset that I need to now get things done rather than do it myself. How did you go about, Lalita? Because from consulting, because consulting, it still is not a one-man thing, but there's a lot of heavy yeah. load on one individual because it's your role is clearly defined in terms of what is a value prop you're bringing to the table. But from there to shift to this larger perspective, how did that happen with you? I think probably I went from consulting into project management, then I went into architecture, um, because you know how things work. And I think somewhere it's been a natural evolution for me. I think more often than not, my, uh, career progression has been because of the experiences I sought, mm. right? It is about, it is about, I've told you about wanting to learn something new. And every time you want to do something new, it's a new opportunity. It's a new difficult project or it is a difficult situation, something nobody has done before or nobody wants to do it. So you just, you know, say, no, I want to do it. So I think seeking the experiences as what progressed my career rather than you know running after promotions or running after growth it is it is the various experiences that again makes you unique um, having that building that credibility of having done difficult stuff what takes you ahead mm -hmm. so you said you were an architect as well a pure tech um, yes, it is. It is tech. It is. Uh, it's about designing the landscape or designing the future. Working with organizations, um, looking at what should be the three years roadmap, what systems fit in, what doesn't fit in. You know that kind of uh, stuff. This is the IBM. Yeah, this is my IBM phase. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that marries the business to the technology side really beautifully. And then the project management teaches you um, how to sort of mobilize the non-authoritative yeah. actions to get yeah. a successful outcome, Absolutely. right? Okay. 
And was that a gradual process? Was that like well thought of, okay, now I've learned this skill. Now I need to go to this skill or? Yeah, I, I, you know, I would be really amazed that anybody says my entire career has been planned. <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? It, things come your, it's about when opportunities come your way, do you have that willingness to take it? Do you have that risk taking ability? Do you have, uh, do you want to do it, right? For me, I spent 10 years at IBM. I was in a very comfortable position. Um, moving out and wanting to build a GCC, the Global Capability Center for Kaggle, was again one of the biggest risks I've taken at that point of time, right? Because uh, I was handling a very large team across different countries in IBM. And uh, when I joined Kaggle, nobody heard about the name or very few people heard about the company's name. There was no office as well. We were working out of a business center. Um, people said, why would you do that, right? I, for me, I felt that I've been on the services side for so long. I want to work for an organization to see how we can help with the experience of this. Um, you know, I still remember going and asking my husband, if I'm going to fail miserably, you will still continue to feed me, right? <laughs> right? That was my, because it's a risk. A lot yeah. of people, for a lot of people, if you say, um, of course, now the startups are a thing in the last uh, probably five odd years. Um, so people might still think startups are fancy. But however big uh, Kaggle was, it is a startup. I was doing, right? Because it's right from setting up uh, the organization structures, policies, processes, uh, building, growing uh, kind of a thing. So um, we wouldn't have imagined uh, the kind of the growth we've had. And mm. uh, uh, But if I'm sitting here and talking about it because it's a success, but it is a huge risk as well. Yeah. yeah. And have you had failures, like, like really? Um, I've definitely had failures and I again don't believe anybody who says they didn't have failures but you learn you learn from it and uh, you um, falling is common how fast can you get up how well you can dust yourself and run again is what is uh, important and so when you when you take up something new like for example you took up Cargill and Cargill it's while leading a business entity in IBM is one thing, completely leading an organization is another ball game itself. And you're new to it. How, how did you build the confidence, first of all? You know, I didn't have the confidence. Hmm. Yeah, so as I said, I was working, I was actually interviewed for a very different job. And uh, uh, that's why the managers become so important. My manager, she's an American lady who used to live in Europe. Um, so when I told her, I said first, my first thing was take a step back and say, no, operations, I can't do it. I've not done it before. It's not uh, something um, I've been, throughout my career, I've been in tech consulting management and all of that, but operations is very new. Um, especially finance processes and other stuff, I've probably not even heard about it, right? Um, we plan to have four or five different line functions in the organization here in India. Um, I said, I don't know about it. And she said, look, we have, we're going to have six centers. 
in any of the six centers, none of the center heads would ever know all the functions. So as long as you know what you need to do, you don't have to know everything, you will learn along the way. Hmm. I think that really gave me confidence to take up the job and definitely I've learned along the way. I think that's been my biggest happy learning experience as well. So that, um, because I've learned so much about operations, setting up, ramping up, setting up a culture more importantly. Mm. Uh, that is what I'm extremely proud about today after seven years, uh, you know, even after two years after leaving the organization. And I think that's the hardest part that many companies struggle with is the culture bit, right? Like the left arm doesn't know what the right arm is doing. But you need, especially to transform with agility, you need a culture where you're so integrated and you're so hand in hand. As I think for to. me, uh, a lot of people say, oh, your business comes first. For me, people come first. Yeah? It's been my philosophy all along. As long as you do what is right for the people, they do what is right for the business. Business takes care of it itself. So if you, if you don't have a happy workforce, you're not going to achieve anything, even if you have the best of the product or best of the world-class uh, things to sell. Because the people who are doing that need to be happy to do it. So that is important, that is so important that you do what is right by the people, they will definitely do what is right by the business. What are some indicators for someone sitting outside, if I'm applying to some job somewhere, to understand this is more people-centered? I think it is, it's about, of course, about the HR processes, policies, a lot of them speak for it. but. I think a lot would, you would know a lot about it, how um, when you walk into an organization, how the people around you are treated. Okay? If right from your receptionist to your office janitor or the security people are treated well, you know that is a people-centric organization. Saying right from the gate. Absolutely. Everybody has a job to do. It's their job to do might be different than your job to do, but unless they do their job, you can't do your job. If somebody sitting in the reception don't issue an ID card, people can't come in, right? So you have to respect every single job at its own capacity and treat people equally. Yeah, yeah. And Lalita, in this process, if you look back to Lalita today, to the young Lalita who walked out of the village. How have you transformed? Many folds, right? And uh, people ask me, what would be the advice you give to your younger self, uh. right? I think uh, I always say reality is not ever as hard as your imagination. So worry less and live more. <laughs> I think that's important because you fret over things that neither has a meaning in the long term, nor as bad as it is. Um, I, I, have, I have transformed multifold, right? The, the things which are important for me to pick up fights about are no longer important now. You, you grow as a human being, as mm -hmm. an individual, as a professional. 
you grow as long as you continue to learn. Yeah, yeah. Any um, advice for someone who's switching from a mid to a senior management role? As I told earlier, it's extremely important to realize that you can't do it all by yourself. You need an army of people to do things around. Understanding people's strengths, working with the people, and it is no longer your unique value proposition. It is the team or the organization or what you're leading, their unique proposition. And how do you get the right visibility? How do you highlight what your teams are doing is so important. Yeah. So that, that moving from saying that I can control everything, realizing that you can't control it all is the biggest learning, I would say. So it's also an unlearning. It is definitely. Along your career, there are so many times you have to unlearn. It is every time you take up a new job or a new role, you have to unlearn and relearn. Otherwise, you will not be able to be adopting to the organization. You, unless you adopt, you can't influence. Yeah. So it is so much important. First, you need to align before you can influence. Yeah, yeah. And there, I do have one question. So when you join, and because you've joined in different uh, capacity and different industries and different streams itself, I think this is a great question to hear from you and how you went about. What does your 30, 60, 90 look like when you join a new place? It's not going to be a standard plan. Right. I know a lot of people say that you, know, you need to do this, 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 this. Because every organization is at a different maturity level. Yeah? Um, so I think it's extremely important the first 30 days probably even before you start putting plans around to understand the organization, understand the DNA of the organization, understand the culture, understand what resonates with the leadership, what is prioritizing what is important to be done for the next 60, 90 days is going to be very important and that is what determines your next 60 or 90 days. Um, so my suggestion would be don't go with a fixed set of things that I'm going to do this, 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 this. No. You have to first understand what is required because you what you want to do might be so big that they may not even be able to bite it. Yeah. Right. So it's important to see what is needed and then plan your next 60, 90 days is so important. So one is understand the culture itself, understand how the organization is structured, what is priority, what is the big picture. Absolutely. Internalize to see where you fit in as well as what are things that you need to quickly ramp up. Quick then wins, comes yeah. the quick wins and yeah. the larger picture. Absolutely. But if you start by, oh, my past organization, I did this. It will not work. Trust me with my experience. I can tell you what you did in the past. If you try to replicate in a new organization, it won't work because each organization is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the fun part of Lalita? Fun part? Uh, good question. I think, again, as I said, I'm absolutely authentic. So I love to have fun, meet people, meet outside the work. Uh, it's not important. It's not, it's impossible for me um, to stay purely professional. So you need to build that personal relationship. You need to build that personal rapport. 
go let your hair loose and have some fun as well, which is very important. What, what would your peers tell about Lalita if we were talking to them? My peers, um, I think, of course, the experience and knowledge is what, uh, you know, this has been my feedback to me throughout my career in many executive leadership things that I intimidate my peers. <laughs> okay, so I've learned now how to, um, you know, that show off, mm. uh, how to control. You, you don't have to be the first person or the last person speaking in the room. I think that you gain along with your experience, right? As long as you are so much more sure about yourself, you will try to less exhibit who you are. Yeah. Because nobody else needs to know who you are. You need to know who you are, right? I think, um, so yeah, my peers now would say she's experienced, she's knowledgeable, she's cooperative, she works well together in the team. So I think that's, that's, that's enough. Lalita, thank you so much. Today's was a lovely conversation dwelling into the value prop of an individual thank and you how so you much. can shape your career itself. So thank you so much. So happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.